Hello and welcome to another edition of Enter the Dark. It's a series of podcasts that looks at the co-creation and the co-creators of the Coca-Cola signature mixers. And we've been through five of the co-creators and their stories are really fascinating. The last session is actually about how we made the workshop that made the difference. And the people that made the workshop, well, that's me. That's what I did. And I'm going to talk you through how I did it, why I did it, and how we structured it in the way that we did. Now, my name's Mark, and I run a company called Ape. We work with businesses on sustainability, on innovation, and on, I guess, change. And we've been doing this for a long time. I've been working for 30 years. I'm old. Initially, when I was working solely in sustainability, it's before sustainability was cool. So I was the only one doing that. And as time has come on, lots and lots of people have joined that sector. And I've changed what I do a little bit. And I work on a really broad area now where I help people reimagine a new future. Creativity is imagining a world that isn't here yet. So that's what I do. And I tend to favor using co-creation workshops. I'll explain a bit about those as we go. So the brief I got for this one was, you know, how do we take the world's best mixer and make it better? And so you immediately go to those people that understand flavor and you go to bartenders. And that's brilliant. That's exactly what we wanted to do. But we also wanted to look at the tangential world. We wanted to look at those worlds that are just slightly to one side of bartending. So the first thing that I did was I kind of immersed myself in those worlds that are not necessarily straightforward. So I went to talk to baristas. I went to talk to people who make coffee because the flavor trends that we see in coffee automatically feed through to other areas. I talked to chefs. I talked to a whole load of people in the nutritional world looking at where flavor was going. And the really interesting series of breakthroughs there. In terms of coffee, we've seen this shift away from kind of heavier, maybe slightly overly roasted, chocolatey tastes to more subtle tastes. So I could feel that there was this like embracing of subtlety. And I wanted to, to kind of ape or to mimic that a little bit in this project. So we went and got a whole load of insights there. You know, we can see data really easily. Data is amazing and it tells us so much. But data is already history by the time you've collected it. So the thing that I wanted to do was to shift from data to insight. And that's what we did. And we pulled together a number of different kind of inspiring talks, a number of practical activities that gave us a kind of clue as to where the future was. It's, it's really easy to play football or soccer where the ball is. It's much harder to work out where the ball is going to be. And that's what we wanted to do. But at the same time, balancing this, you know, the fact that we've got a room full of the world's best bartenders. And I, I can't teach them anything new in terms of flavor. But what I can do is I can inspire them to think differently. So we built the idea of this workshop around stretch, around stretching the bartenders, not their understanding, but their experience. You know, we all we all have our little worlds and we all sit in it and it's really comfortable and we know what we do and we know how we do it. And I wanted to bring some fresh thinking in. So we went and immersed ourselves in these worlds. And I've always been curious, you know, 
I grew up in the UK in the late 60s and 70s. And the, the level of curiosity and play that I was allowed to have within the education system has really informed what I do as a consultant, as an agency, being able to play and to go wrong and for it not to be curriculumed. That's, that's joyous. And I wanted to bring some of that into this space. So we went out and we found all of these tangential themes and these tangential worlds, and that allowed us to pull together a structure. And then we wanted to go a little bit wider. We wanted to look at the trends in the drink world around the world. So we commissioned some research to look at what was happening all across the world in terms of drinks. And, you know, you've got a series of really interesting trends. You've got this wellness trend, which is not going to go away. You've got this trend towards a higher ABV in one sense. So the beers are getting stronger. And then you've got a trend towards lower ABV. And I work across all of those. I work with some of the biggest companies in those areas. So I have a really great understanding of that. So pulling those trends together, that was really straightforward, really easy. And then you've got this whole kind of like personalization trend, this hyper-personalization. I want it my way and I want it when I want it. These statements, these statements dominate any kind of innovation in this world. And so we built a segment around hyper-personalization and that was lovely actually. And then we looked at smell, we looked at the scent, we looked at the way that we use smell in order to reinforce flavor. And we looked at the fact, you know, you know this stuff. If you pop a fruity sweet in your mouth and hold your nose, you can't taste the fruit until you let go of your nose. And so we knew that there was a big shift in terms of understanding flavor in a broader sensory way. And if we look at the way that bartenders were moving at that time, they were using mists, they were using little salt rims and a whole range of very gentle, subtle flavor cues that were leading people to experience the drink in a different way. And then we looked at togetherness, you know, a bar is a creation of togetherness. And if you can create the most amazing atmosphere, if you can create a little bit of theatre without being pompous about it, then you create a place where people want to be. And then we looked at at home. You know, there's this massive trend towards wanting to make cocktails yourself, wanting to make drinks yourself, and to almost democratise cocktail making. That was in the back of my mind as well. I wanted people to be able to buy this product, take it home, and change the way they tasted their spirit. We got this real desire to dig deeper into dark spirits, to enter the dark, because as a mixer, Coca-Cola works absolutely brilliantly with dark spirits, but we restrict that to whiskey or bourbon and Coke. That's, that's where we go, right? And we knew that there was more to play with here, and we knew that there was more nuance. If you look at the flavor profiles of Coca-Cola, you've got the citrus, you've got vanilla, you've got these kind of like beautiful tones that are often lost and they're often lost for all the right reasons. You know, they're often lost because it's uh, super cold, super fizzy, or you put a lot of spirit in it. And we wanted to lift some of those tones that we knew were there, but maybe the consumer didn't. So again, building on that subtlety and lifting those ideas, lifting those flavors a little bit higher. So our pre-work on trends was essential to look at what other people were doing, to look at how they were working. This is a gift of a contract for me. Coca-Cola's recipe is top secret. It doesn't change. And they gave us permission to play with it. 
Coca-Cola's brand is beautiful and eloquent and the most recognized brand in the world. And they gave us permission to play with it. This is such a rare treat. And the, the leadership team in Coca-Cola Signatures Mix as part of the business are really brave and super, super ambitious. So that was a match made in heaven. We really enjoyed working with them. So we've got this kind of idea of the area we wanted to play in. We really needed now to focus down on the spirits that we wanted to play with. So whiskey, bourbon, obviously no brainer. That's exactly where we needed to go. Rum and the explosion in spiced and flavoured rum, we felt was going to be replicated in the whiskey world. I still think that's going to be huge. So we wanted to kind of bring rum in because it was a totem. It was a leader. And we could see that working really well. And also light rum, not necessarily just dark rum. Dark rum is an incredible drink, but bringing some light rum as well. And then tequila. We wanted to play with some tequila because tequila is, is often overlooked as a spirit. It's seen as a shot with salt and citrus, and it's great. But we wanted to play in another way with it, to create a longer drink with it and to kind of let it shine a little bit. So they were our spirits and we had an outline for a workshop. We just needed a space. Now, it's harder than you think to find a space that you can play in between nine in the morning and nine at night because bars open as bars in the evenings and restaurants are open as restaurants in the day. But we were really lucky. We were able to find a space that we could use in East London, Spitalfields, and it was downstairs and it was dark. And it matched perfectly the whole idea of being playful and exploratory around dark spirits. And we then needed some ingredients. Now, this was probably the most fun in the preparation was choosing what to buy, what people would want to play with. And so we spoke to each of the bartenders, which I'll come to in a minute, about the ingredients that they would want to play with. And we pulled those together and we bought lots and lots of spirits and lots and lots of ingredients. And then we went out to a number of suppliers of essential oils, kind of very concentrated essences of flavor. We cut them and then we recut them and then we recut them. So they're super dilute by the time we're using them. But that allows us to get a really great understanding of concentration because you've got to remember we can make this in the bar and we can make people happy, but you've got to then remake it in a lab. It's created in the bar, not in a lab, but you've got to be able to reproduce it. So that way of cutting down, that was really essential. And so we went out and we, and we bought fresh herbs. You know, the fresh herbs were amazing because the whole bar just smelled astonishing, really beautiful. And we bought citrus and we bought fruits. And again, we, we made, as you walked into this wonderland, I wanted people to walk down the stairs into that bar and be completely immersed from a sensory point of view and excited to be there and to do these amazing experiments because that's what it was. We created a lab in a bar. We created a bar in a lab. But to create these amazing experiments and to play was just, it was a dream. You know, it's a dream contract. And so we filled the place with odour. It looked amazing. You had this, this kind of wall of herbs over on one side. And quite clearly, it tasted incredible as well. But then we needed to find some bartenders. Now, there are many, many lists of bartenders. How do you even begin to narrow it down? So we used a little bit of gut instinct. 
We used a little bit of luck and we used those lists and we looked far and wide and our bartenders mainly came from Spain and from the UK. And we pulled together an incredible bunch. I think there were 10, maybe even 12 in the experiment. There were five that kind of came through with the drinks that we launched, but we ended up producing way, way more mixes than that. And the joy of it is I, I interviewed every single bartender because it wasn't just about how good they were at their job. They had to get on with everybody else and they had to work in a way that was going to be conducive to bringing out the best in everybody else. Otherwise, there's no point in bringing them together. Otherwise, I could just send them a, a brief and say, can you make me a mixer to do the following? The whole idea of co-creation is that the co-creation activity is greater than the sum of its parts. And by pulling people together, they fire off each other. They get a bit excited. When you add two ingredients together, you get a bigger result. A bit like in a cocktail, a bit like in a mixer. And that's what we wanted to do. So with the help of a couple of other people, we pulled together a list of 10 or 12 and they all agreed, came down, they got paid to play. And that is that first morning when a few of them knew each other, but not everyone knew each other. And I had to pull together a program and it needed to be really engaging. And we built fun in, you know, the most important thing I could think of is over two days of being in a dark cellar, playing with some of the world's best spirits, with the world's best mixer and the world's best cocktail makers. I wanted everyone to have fun because co-creation breeds fun. And when you're having fun, you begin to trust people. And when you trust people, magic happens. And that's what we were able to create. And I set up a series of different activities. So the first hour, they talked about the trends that they were seeing in their bars in their countries. And then we got people to come in and talk about trends around the world. And then we got someone to come in and talk about how they launched a vermouth and what the challenges were and how they began to pick the flavors of a mousse, very complex number of different ingredients and how they began to pick those flavors and profiles. And that allowed people just to relax and to get to know each other. And then we began to create and we split the next two days into four practical sessions by spirit where people were playing with spirit, were playing with with flavors. And obviously we had scientific equipment, pipettes, we had scales, we had everything needed to be recorded as well, really carefully. People were working in pairs. Now, not everyone stays in a pair, right? So you start off in a pair and you, you fire ideas off each other, but then you might go and work on your own thing. And we encourage that. And that was really powerful in that very first session, watching people pair up, but also watching people, I'm not going to say compete because that's too strong a word, but watching people develop their own thinking and build on that. And then when it came to lunch, because you've got to eat, haven't you? On the first day, we gave everybody a little envelope of cash and we sent them out into East London. And we sent them out to find one flavor that they've never, ever used before or a flavor that they'd overlooked. We wanted them to go and find things that they wouldn't normally see. Now, this sounds crazy because we walk around these places all the time, but when you set a specific goal to find a flavor that you've never used before, you look harder. Okay, a couple of them had gone and sat in a bar and talked, and that's okay because they were definitely experiencing flavors. The rest of them went into the market and they went and played with flavors. And one guy came back with black cardamom and he was using black cardamom. One woman came back and started to play with dill as a flavor. And so 
it was a really useful interlude in the day. And then we carried on building in the afternoon. Now, clearly, we can all make drinks and we can all say how great they are and collectively we can taste them. The acid test is when the consumer gets them. So we arranged a series of consumer panels and I've used consumer recruitment companies before, but you tend to get people who are what I would call professional consumers. That's all they do. They just work for consumer panels. And we wanted to find real people. So we went deep. We went really deep, went into social media. We used profiles that weren't like us because this isn't for me. We wanted to find people who this really related to. So we went millennial, we went diverse, and we pulled in 20 or 30 people on each of the panels and just watching them go along and tasting the drinks, one or two drinks per bartender. And we also got the bartenders to explain their drink, to tell the story of the ingredients that they were using. And they did that in such an engaging way. And of course, you capture all that. We had photographers and we had video there all the time. And some of the content, well, I'll tell you, the content was so good from the workshop that it was used when they went to market. And we didn't know that, you know, we're just capturing content for us. But you've always got to be thinking about content and platforms. So the consumers came in and they were just wowed. It was really interesting. You could just see the drinks that were already beginning to fire them up. So that was the end of day one. Day two, we repeated it. We had other experts in to talk about the things that they'd seen. We wanted to inspire and inform. We had the feedback from the night before. All of those things really matter. And then we had another tasting on that second night. And once more, we begin to see people come alive. Flavour is a time machine. It takes us to places that we had forgotten we'd been to. It uncovers memories that we've long layered over with dust. And to watch these people taste the drinks and remind them of something from the past and then getting them to tell those stories, there's real magic there. So we did that on the second night. And again, we had amazing feedback. It was quite clearly that we were onto something here. And the bravery of the Coca-Cola team and the approach of co-creation and the skills of the bartenders just came together and formed something bigger than the sum of their parts. Day three, we did have them back for the morning of day three, was about perfect serve. How you, how you take these drinks and how you make them ready for a market so that the consumer can replicate and use them at home in exactly the same way as they'd be used in bars. That was really, really powerful stuff. So we spent part of day three doing perfect serve. And then we had to choose. Then we had to pull together a panel. And it was an internal panel plus the feedback from the consumers plus us. And the final four flavors were chosen. And it was, I'll be really honest with you, it was really tough. There could have been eight. There were some amazing drinks there. And that was the end of my process. But it wasn't, was it? Because you then got to make it. And so there was this beautiful to and throwing, this oscillation between the bartenders and Atlanta, where the products were formulated and tweaked. And we would be receiving samples and testing them and getting it right. And, you know, you can't rush this stuff. Getting it right really, really matters. 
And so we spent a lot of time doing that. And those little bits of fettling and adding a little bit more woody stuff or smoky stuff or herbal stuff, that's the detail that matters and it has to be replicable. And so we're really proud of the work that we did. We're really proud that we used a co-creation process and we're really proud of the drinks that came out of it. The bartenders that we met along the way, the ones that made the final four drinks and the ones that didn't, they're amazing, actually. It's really easy to think that bartending is something you do when there are no other options. It's not true. Being a bartender, being able to lift a mood, to read a room, to read a person, that's magic. And watching the best bartenders work, you realise how unbelievably talented they are. Part chef, part flavour connoisseur, they DJ with flavours. But most importantly, they know how to lift a room. And they're part psychologist and they're part philosopher. I have the utmost respect for the profession. And we've been working with some of the best bartenders in the world over the last three, four years. And we continue to do so. And it's an absolute joy. There is so much talent there. It's untrue. So that's how we did it. And we're going to do it again. And I'm really proud of the work that we did. The drinks that came out of it are genuinely brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this mini series. I hope you are excited. I hope you're interested in flavour in a way that maybe you weren't before. Thank you.